Hello, my name is Alan Swan and welcome to The Outer View, a show all about the art of media interviewing on RTE Radio 1 Extra. My guest this week on episode 8 of The Outer View is Irish journalist and broadcaster Claire Byrne. Now, Claire will be best known for her TV work on Ireland in Ireland on RTE1 uh, on Claire Byrne Live. She also has a radio show on RTE Radio 1, which is the national broadcaster. If you're in um, America, it's similar to um, NPR in the UK, the BBC. Um, and Claire presents a very popular uh, political show there at the weekends. And in this episode, Claire remembers an interview which had a major effect on her. Um, she also tells us a story about how not to impress a celebrity, uh, one such, uh, Donny Osmond, and she declares her love publicly for the broadcaster, Gayburn, who's a rather legendary broadcaster in Ireland. So, without further ado, here it is, episode eight, my conversation with Claire Byrne. Claire Byrne, thank you so much for coming on the uh, podcast show. And um, as always, I, I always ask the first question to every guest that we have in. Do you remember your first interview? I was thinking about this because I thought you might ask me and um, I don't. I don't really? remember the first interview I did because I I started as a reporter. So I suppose all of that sort of combines together into a blob. Like when did, when did the presenter start and when did the reporter end? Because I was yeah. doing a bit of both for a while. But when I was thinking about it, I thought about the first probably most memorable interview that I did that that crops up in my mind um, takes me back to when I worked in Jersey as a reporter and I covered um, an inquest into a death of a young man. It was a horrible story. He had taken a heroin overdose. He'd been abandoned by his friends. He wasn't sort of, if there is a typical heroin user, he wasn't that person. He was somebody at a party who'd been to Thailand for a couple of months, got caught up in the heroin thing, gone to a party and died. And he had been pretty much dumped in a public toilet and was found there. And his parents were utterly devastated as you can imagine. So I went, did the inquest and covered it factually in a, in a reporter type way yeah. on the news. And the phone rang in the newsroom and it was his father. And he felt that the memory of his son had been somehow denigrated by the report that I had done because it was very factual and there was no sense of who his son was in that in that report. So I tried to placate him and 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 speak to him about, you know, what my job was. Um didn't really get anywhere the phone conversation ended and I was quite upset because I felt that I'd really hurt that man and hurt his family. Yeah. So I got some advice from my then editor, Anthony Lewis, who said, phone him back, phone him back and, and ask him, will he speak to you and see, can you go to his house and talk to him? So I did and uh, went to the man's house. He showed me his son's bedroom. He showed me, you know, his drum kit, he showed me his school books. We sat at his kitchen table and we spoke for half an hour about the person, yeah. uh, about the loss, about going through the process of the inquest and all of the formalities and identifying a body and doing something that you never thought you would have to do as a parent. Yeah. And that for me was the standout moment from that, from my time in Jersey in my very early career where I felt I was beginning to learn, you know, that being a reporter and being a journalist is one thing. Being a human being and a reporter is something else completely different. Because I think the word interview strikes up a very kind of formal process where you, it's an interview mm. and we are going to have a talk and I'm going to ask you questions and you're going to give me the answers. Whereas it's come up time and time again on this podcast that it's it's a conversation to a certain extent. It is. And I think the mistake that you make, you know, if you go to journalism school as I did and you you know you learn how to do an interview 
you learn that there are certain points that you have to hit. And I think if you're a journalist, you always have that in your mind. I have five minutes and I have to get this point, this point, this point and this point. And there's a tendency to write down your questions. And leading on from that, there's a tendency to read out your questions one by one and make sure you get to the end of that list and you forget to listen. And it took me years to learn how to listen. It sounds, I'd say if you're listening to this, and you're, you're outside the profession, that sounds elementary and it sounds dumb and it sounds like something that you, that every, everyone knows how to listen. You don't. I mean, you just don't. You yeah, because the product of, of the interview is that you, you, have a, uh, you have to achieve something with the interview, as in you have a job to do. It needs to go on a certain time. Mm. It, needs, it needs to hit those certain points. Yeah. And you're, you're, I think when you're doing the interview, you're thinking about, like I'm trying very difficult now not to think about, okay, I have to edit this now and this has to be uploaded next week. And you're, you're always thinking ahead of where this is going to be. Yes. Instead of being in the moment. But I think... Yes, but in order to be in the moment, you've got to have confidence. Yeah. And that only comes with experience. So you've got to have enough confidence to say, once you get the answer to your first question, the interview has gone in a completely different direction. Get your piece of paper, you know, screw it up into a ball, throw it into the bin and go with the flow, go with the story, go with what makes your, the hair stand on the back of your neck in the answer, answer that you got rather than your list of questions. Yeah. And when you did that interview with, with that gentleman, yeah. Um, when you, how did you feel when you listened back to that? I felt um, great satisfaction. I felt that there was a great, I felt that I'd done him some service, yeah. but I also felt that I had learned a lot and I had developed a lot as a as a presenter, a journalist, a reporter in that moment yeah. because I went into that story thinking my job is to go to an inquest and report on an inquest, uh, you know, a, a state event, if you like, um, rather than to represent what all of this meant to a family and to a human being. So it went from being a, a reporting job, an assignment, to a, a very much a human interest story. Our guest last week on the podcast was a, a lady called Gail Murphy and she brought up a very good point about that everyone has a story. And I think that when you're interviewing somebody, you, f- you sometimes forget that when you're trying to get your job done, that everyone's got a story, they've got something to say to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And you as, do you feel under pressure sometimes when you have a guest that you you need to get to the point quickly, if you know what I mean. Oh, look, there are some people who, you know, will waffle on, you know, and the reality is that you don't always have endless tape or endless airtime. And and most of what I do now is live. So you do have to get to the point pretty quickly, but you can do that in pre-conversations or you could, you know, you have your, your team and we're fortunate enough to have researchers here who will explain to somebody that you need to get to the substantive point. It's great if you have time, yeah. you know, to be able to do a pre-rec and, and, and take your time getting to the point, but often you can't. So you'll need to be able to develop a sensitive way to move somebody along to get them to the substantive issue. I mean, that's just fact of life stuff. And what's your process? What's your process that if you're, say, for instance, because people that listen that have that have got in touch with this podcast. We've got everyone from media students, which have been fantastic, that have got in touch with us, to um, seasoned journalists that that have enjoyed some of the the, the stories that have come out of the show. Uh, but uh, the, the the thing that keeps going back to the show is the process of how you sit down. That if you've you're giving a subject, what is your start point in sitting down, and 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 how do you work? Do you mean when you're 
ahead of the interview or when you're actually doing the interview? Uh, both actually. Ahead of the interview, what would be what would be the clear burn process of, is there a certain way that you go about a certain uh, way that you research? Do you, what's your starting point? Well, I like to know as much as I possibly can. I mean, we don't often have lots and lots of time before an interview to do as much research as you'd like, but I think that you have a responsibility both to the person you're interviewing and to the audience at home to do your homework. Yeah. And that's just very basic stuff. And I think it's an insult to everybody if you go in not knowing anything about what you're talking about. So yeah. I try to do as much as I possibly can um, when it comes to research. Um, it's easier for me because I'm in the wheel of news, if you like. Yeah. I'm on that treadmill. And so once you're on it, you're aware of a lot of what's going on in the area of current affairs. I would probably know what happened last week and what's likely to happen next week because that's my gig and that's what I'm doing all of the time. Yeah. So I would go through the notes. I would, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an age old thing and something that I learned really early on. It's the one thing that makes you raise an eyebrow when you're reading a brief or when you're reading an interview that they might have done previously. It's like, oh, why did they say that? Or, oh, that's interesting. Or, yeah. ah, that's the knob. Or there's something, there's some little nugget there that they weren't pushed on on previous occasions. And that's probably what I'm going to focus on in the interview and see where we get to. Do you find that difficult when you have to push the nub, as you say, that you um, found something and that you're kind of going, I don't know, should I be going there? Do you, do, do you, not really. Yeah. Not really, because you can ask something. Yeah. Um, I find, you know, there, there, there are different interviews and you've got, to, you've got to behave in different ways. So if you have somebody who's in on a human interest story and they're not used to being interviewed and this is very personal, then you've got to be sensitive about it. If it's a political interview or a business interview, then, hey, you know, that's that person's job. And so you can push them as hard as you like. Um, it's no harm in asking a question. Yeah. I mean, you mightn't always get the answer or somebody might feel offended or miffed that you've asked it but hey you know that's my job my job is to ask Has it ever gone wrong for you? Um, probably lots of times <laughs> you know when I look back Sorry to go to the, the <laughs> There was actually there was one interview that I did for Breakfast Television I was a breakfast television presenter briefly for Channel 5 in, in London and the show started at an ungodly hour it was 6am so like you were in at 3 like it was crazy we were always wrecked all the time but there Getting was your hair and makeup done at three o'clock in the morning. There was no hair and makeup. Oh, you did, really? okay. you did it, you did it okay. yourself. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> the glamour of television. Well. Um, but yeah, we had. Um, I don't even know if I should say who it is. I will say right, and right. then and then and then we can we can decide. We can afterwards. decide after the podcast. Yeah. We'll edit this person's yeah. name out. So it was um, the Osmonds were were over. Some of them to do like panto or stage stuff be in the UK, yeah. and. Um, I sort of, I grew up watching a little bit of Donnie and Marie, but I wasn't overly familiar with them. And there were a few people around who were kind of excited about one of the Osmonds coming in. I was going, to, I need to, somebody tell me about who these people are. So somebody said to me, um, the Osmonds were always famed for their teeth. Ask them what the teeth thing was, okay. you know, because they always had perfectly Pristine. straight white teeth and they always were smiling with these white smiles. So at some point in the interview, I said, like, very naively, What's with the teeth thing? Bearing in mind, like I'm 23 or something, like I was an idiot. And he looked at me and he said, what are you talking about? Live on television, I went, the teeth thing, like your teeth are always so perfect. And he went, in America, we like to have good teeth. Anyway, it was a complete disaster, right? He left the studio and he walked out into the green room and he said, that woman is an idiot. Now, he was he was right. You know, he was right. It was a terrible You've been too interview. tough on yourself now, Claire. Oh, no, it was awful. I mean, imagine saying to somebody, what's with the teeth thing? It was just, yeah, pathetic. And um, that's probably a mild enough example. I'm sure there are lots of situations which I've, done my very best to try and forget where 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 it's been worse. Well, let's flip it then. Let's flip it to the positive. What um is there a standout moment in in and you've 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 worked from 
you've worked across a variety of media, be it on TV, um, be it on radio, um, and you know, is there one standout moment for you that you've gone? Do you know what? That I nailed that. Oh gosh, um, it's hard because I think you know the nature of people in this business we tend to be very self-critical so it's hard to sort of to look at something and say oh I was marvellous I suppose I'm very proud of the leaders debate in the recent election and lots of people have been very kind and said that they enjoyed that but that was born out of a lot of hard work you know we went through like I said earlier all of the manifestos with a fine tooth comb Um, we wanted to be fair across the board to everybody we had seven leaders standing on the stage in, in Limerick University give them all their space give it plenty of time give the audience lots of time, not be seen to be partisan in any way. Yeah. And I think that I achieved that. Yeah, very much so. And, I, and I'm very proud of that. Um, so that, I suppose, is the most recent thing where I, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased with that. And how do you rehearse something like that? Because it's it's one thing doing what we're doing now, which is a one-on-one conversation. It's a totally different matter. It's almost like you're, it's like been a gladiator where you're kind, you're trying to give everyone their equal time. Mm-hmm. You're trying to be fair, partisan. You're trying to do all that. How do you rehearse something like that? Can you rehearse? Can you, you, you can't. Can you, can you, do you a can't. Run? No, you, no, you can't. And, yeah. we, and we didn't. And that would be not, I, not with the, the actual politicians, but it, like even to get no, the sequencing right. No, to get people to stand in yeah. and kind yeah, yeah. of no, no. And I and I'm terrible at rehearsals anyway, and I'm terrible at things that aren't live. And yeah, you know, yeah. I, I just love to do things in the moment. But yeah. I suppose. Um, I've learned on the job. You know, when I joined Primetime first, they had the audience show for the first time in the Primetime format. And I don't mind saying I hated it. I thought I was awful at it. I was uncomfortable. It's one thing having a camera in front of you. I can yeah. deal with that. But real people, I mean, that's a totally different ball game. I felt really Why? not happy. I don't know. I just felt like I had... Um, too much to juggle. So I had to juggle the panel of people. I had to make sure that the audience were happy, that they were getting their say. After all, they're coming into a studio. Many of them want to participate in the programme and many of them will leave not satisfied because they didn't get to make their point. And I would carry all of that weight on my shoulders and I still do. You know, with Claire Byrne Live, I still do. And as as licence fee pairs, there's ownership and they feel that they're entitled to, and very much entitled to, have their point. All so of that. So there is that pressure. Yeah, all of that, you know. And I, and I try to say to the team, please tell people they're not guaranteed to speak because I hate people leaving that room feeling dissatisfied with, you know, with, with what has gone uh, on in the programme. So, yeah, I think there's been a lot of learning on the job yeah. and, and and managing things and realising that you're not going to be able to do everything on any one given night, but that your job is to ask the questions that the people at home want asked, give everybody a fair shot, not be partisan because it's not about me, yeah. it's about them, it's about facilitating. It's about stirring it a little bit, you know, it's about getting the tension going and getting people to the points where they have their differences rather than letting them spout on say if it's an election campaign you can't let people spout on and yes. give them a platform just to go blur here's what I believe in you have to try and find the point of conflict because there's flow and there's tempo to these things yeah how do you decide if, for instance if you're doing an interview with somebody do, do you have a point in the interview where you kind of notice yourself I'm going to really have to you know, is there a point if you're doing, say, a one-on-one interview? Do you have beforehand questions that you know will raise the tempo a little bit, bring it back again? Is there a, do you have a strategy yeah, when you go in? I suppose so. I think you've got to let somebody set out their stall. Yeah. Um, or if it's somebody who's not experienced and who's telling a personal story, you've got to let them relax into it a little bit. Um, and then 
when it's a political interview, you've got to know when to, to hit them, you know, with, with the tough questions and not let them away with giving you a bland answer that says nothing. You've got to push that and you've got to have the guts to do it. Yeah. Um, and I'm always aware because I work with people. I'm really fortunate to work with great people who I really respect and who are much more brilliant than I am. And I know that I would be doing them a disservice because they put a lot of hard work into getting that person sitting in front of me. And I can't walk out of that studio when I haven't done the job. Yeah, you can't leave it there. I can't leave it there because, yeah. I, you know, I can't go back out and say I didn't ask the hard question because I'm a little bit scared. You know, yeah, yeah. I've got, you've got to push it. You've got to. In saying that, who gets that right then? Who do you look to um, in this mental profession um, that, of people who get it right? Um, I think Marion Finucane is brilliant. Yeah. I've always admired Gay Byrne. Um, probably a little bit in love with Gay Byrne and always have been. Um, That's the exclusive now. Yeah. Claire Byrne always, has always been in love with Gay Byrne. I know, I think he knows that though. <laughs> <laughs> Started a long time ago and I got like, um, it was a secondhand copy of The Time of My Life when I was 12 and read it cover, cover to cover when I should have been reading Jackie or something. I'll tell you suitable. a funny story about Gay Byrne. I wrote a book, got about 10 years ago from the cradle to the stage and I needed somebody to write the, the foreword for me. And we were, I was talking to a guy called Ollie Hennessy, who's the music director of the, of the Rose Tralee. And Ollie said to me, you should ask Gay Byrne, all the acts that you've in that book, sure Gay had in the late late. I said, well, how would I get in touch with him? He says, look, write him a letter. So this is before email or, and I didn't, wouldn't have the, I was 23 at the time, wouldn't have the audacity to ring him up. So I, said, I wrote this letter saying, oh, oh, Mr. Byrne, please, you know, I'd love you to do this. And I remember I was working in CKO radio at the time. I was doing a breakfast show and I seen my phone ringing and it was a Dublin number. And I, I, I was professional, so I continued on with my job, did the show. But the phone rang, and I'll never forget the voicemail. Gay Byrne left this voicemail on my phone, which went along the lines of, um, Hello, Gay Byrne here. Thank you, Alan, for your lovely letter. Uh, beautifully written. Um, I am very busy at the moment, so I won't be able to write the foreword for you. But if you were to write the words for me, <laughs> send it on to me, I, I would put my name to it. So I sent, I wrote the foreword, sent, I wrote it with Jackie Hayden, um, a journalist Hot from, Press. from Hot Press, yeah, from Wexford. And uh, Jackie edited the book with me and we, we concocted this foreword, sent it on. And he sent me this card, which is real Gayburn. Wouldn't change your, and I always think, when I see him right now, I always think of the voice, like, wouldn't change your word, <laughs> Gayburn. And it did the foreword, but I can see why you would be in love with him. Yeah, I mean, there, was, there were little things um, I've learned from him and I've been lucky enough to be able to talk to him, but I, I would have talk to his producers over the years to try and glean a little bit of, I would, you know, questions I would ask. How did Gay structure his Fridays? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, what did he do? Yeah. And, you know, I, he, he'd go for a little sleep, he'd have his meetings and then he would walk the grounds of RTE with a producer just yeah. talking through everything. Um, and then one of the really interesting things I learned was that he didn't, he never crossed um, the audience. So he never crossed his body when he was shaking hands with people oh, wow. when they came out onto the set. So if you can remember him sitting there and he would often, as they were sitting in the chair in the inter- interview seat, yeah. touch their shoulders, touch their elbows, but never reach across his body with his right hand. That's interesting. So that the audience was always part of the interview and they were never excluded. And in the chats that he would have with the audience beforehand, he would make sure that it was him and them and the guest was their guest as opposed to his guest. Yeah, he's a... 
Yeah, he was he was way ahead of his time. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, interesting. One of the women who works on uh, cameras over in, in television has said to me that she's going to sneak me up into the eve someday when he's doing you know one of his um, shows. If if he if he, I'm not sure if he's planning on making yeah. for one night only anymore, but that's my plan to sneak up there and not tell him I'm there and just watch him working. Yeah, because so he that, really is. That would be a master a privilege. Yeah, yeah. but I, I grew up. Um, Watching Today Tonight, I suppose, and and um, you know a lot of my heroes would be from that generation and that era. You know, Olivia O'Leary. People you must like have been that. about four watching Today Tonight, were you? Well, it was a thing in our house that you know if you if you if you could if you were if you managed to get past nine o'clock and watch the news, yeah, they wouldn't kind of notice you if you stuck on like stuck Dallas, out. Dallas was yes. on. Yeah, you'd be watching it kind of between the cracks of the door. Yeah, yeah, if, yeah. if you stayed really quiet during the weather, you could. St- Stay up a little bit later yeah, yeah. and watch a little bit of, you know, of, of the next thing. So, yeah, I, I mean... So you were a political hound even back then? Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah. But, well, a news hound, I think, more than anything. Yeah. You know, a news hound was my, was my interest and still is. So, and bring us to, that, to this point, uh, 2016, um, where, what now for Clareborn? Like, you know, what do you want to achieve in your career? Is there anything, is there anything you'd like to do differently than journalism? God, you know, no. No. <laughs> no, the really? short answer to that is no. Um, I'm really happy doing what I'm doing. I'm kind of living the dream in that I have the TV thing and the radio thing going on. I've never planned anything in my career. I've never gone, I want that job and nothing else will do. Yeah. Um, so no, I'm happy and opportunities come along and I think about them and I do them or I don't do them and I've been very fortunate. And in fact, I was just talking to somebody today and I was going, wouldn't you love to live in New York, you know, and work for one of the big networks? I mean, yeah. That would be something that I would have loved to have done. But now with two small children, I think that probably isn't going to happen. But if I had any ambition or a kind of pipe dream or something that I would think that yeah. would be nice to do, that would maybe be it. But I kind of think that's fading away as time moves on well I wouldn't say that there's, ple- always plenty <laughs> we'll of, there's always plenty of time Claire listen thank you so much for Not coming all, on it's the been podcast a pleasure. Myself, Alan Swan. thank you much and Claire Byrne thank you for being my guest today thank you for listening to this week's edition of The Outer View for RTE Radio 1 Extra you can find out more about The Outer View at alanswan.com <laughs>